Well, uh, this conversation I'm hoping will be around the topic of the relationship between money and freedom. Uh, the phrase goes that money can't buy you happiness, but it sure as hell it can buy you freedom. But I think even at that, it's a much more complex relationship. So I'm joined here with my guest who has um, a vast variety of experience in a bunch of different um, work environments and also just positions. And I'm hoping that this conversation will give some sort of insight when it comes to the topic of money and freedom. So, yeah. Um, so in your experience in the positions that you've had, how have you witnessed the relationship between wage labor and autonomy and freedom? Yeah, so um, when it comes to like <clears throat> wage labor and freedom, one company I worked for was an industry leader in what they did. <clears throat> and they would... Uh, they paid good wages, great benefits, great insurance, great retirement, all of it. But at the end of the day, you kind of became a slave because you really didn't have any other options once you made it through the probationary period of the company and you start gaining a little seniority, you start acquiring the 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 the, car, the second car and the toys and now once once you don't like how the company starts treating you as a human you really don't have any options in terms of where you go because the market isn't going to pay you what you're worth to this company what they're paying you mm -hmm. that was a union company also by the way so in terms of money and autonomy, <clears throat> it's a very difficult balance mm -hmm. to have both mm -hmm. and to really enjoy or like or love what you do and to have autonomy and to have security is very difficult to find. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about autonomy, I think it's important that we define what that means to us, at least in context of this conversation. So you were talking about... Um, you know, at some point you get to a position in the company where everything is great, but then you may stop liking how they're treating you or, you know, other people at the company, you might be exposed to things within the company that aren't so pleasant. What um, do you, what experiences do you have that you could sort of relate to this? Yeah, so the company I was referring to was, was uh, has been around a long time. And uh, they're still around today, and they're doing very well. And I don't have any axe to grind with them, but there were times when they were very, very old school. And a lot of these people from a certain generation believe that you get what you can take and you hold on to it regardless. And so, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of managers and supervisors were, were able to get away with 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 treating people with less than dignity, their employees, right? And so open criticism, open name calling, um, open humiliation was was common, um, particularly when mistakes were made or maybe the effort wasn't as great as it could or should have been. Um, these managers and supervisors were 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 quick to uh, criticize and chastise publicly. 
But there is uh, one, one story I'll share with you, which really didn't have anything to do with performance or productivity or customer service or anything. It was, it was more about of, I'm the boss, this is the job, you do it or you don't, whether you like it or not. And, and I was managing an air, or supervising in an area where um, at, um, at break time, um, one of his parents had, had called into the office to inform him uh, that his grandparent, I think his grandpa, had had a, a heart attack. And uh, one, of the, one of the supervisors in the office had answered the phone, found the employee, and uh, happened to share with the employee and me and my boss what had occurred. And so my boss just kind of said, you know, the employee wanted to leave work and, and go be with his family and see his grandpa in the hospital. My manager, my boss, uh, asked the employee if, if he was a doctor. And of course, the employee, who's a college student, said, no, I'm, I'm not. And he said, okay, well, then I guess you're going to stay here and, and do your job here because there's no reason for you to go to the hospital. Now, the employee was a productive employee. He was a, a, a reliable employee. He was a good employee. This had nothing to do with, with performance or productivity or, like I said, customer service. No, this was about flexing the muscle, being old school and saying, I'm the boss. You're going to do your job. I don't care what happens at your home. You're going to do your job. Then you can go deal with your, your, your life on your own time. This is my time. That's your time. Yeah, so it sounds a lot like you're being owned <laughs> for these hours that it, you're being paid. During that, during your work hours, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. 100%. That's yeah. the expectation. Mm -hmm. I was all in on that. Mm -hmm. When I was there, I was all in. Mm -hmm. If someone called me and I answered the phone and it was personal, I would have to say, I got to go. I can't talk now. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, no interruptions were okay. And... Um, I think it was just the boss's way at that time of saying, too bad, poor timing. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Yeah. So he stayed. That was it. That was the end of the discussion. Are you a doctor? No. Okay. Do your job. Yeah. Um, so you sort of mentioned that this was a little bit old school, and I'm sure, you know, something like this would probably not fly as easily nowadays. However... I think the structure that allows something like that is fundamentally still the same. The idea that you still don't have much autonomy. You're not much of a person when you clock in and you're receiving those, um, you know, you're receiving whatever wage that you're being paid. And it's a somewhat um, cynical way to put it, but we sort of trade an hour of our lives for the wage that we get, however much it may be. But I want to talk about what else we're putting on the line as well um, when we work jobs that don't really see workers as human, whether it be, um, you know, your mental health, your physical health, when you're sitting at a desk for, you know, eight hours a day, or the time that you could be spending with your family, the impact that that sort of thing has on, for example, children who have two working parents, and, you know, not only do they get to, do they not get to be present with them, but they also have to work with um, you know, the stress that the parents bring home and stuff like that. Um, what sort of, do you, can you relate that in any way? Yeah, so, um, I, you know, I'm a product of, of two parents that worked. Um, uh, they, they, they were in education, so they weren't um, hourly workers. 
but we weren't we we weren't wealthy at all um and so you know i i know what it what it's like to be required to be a little more independent at an earlier age than some people might because both my parents were working mm-hmm. um but you know the old school element of what i just described while companies have 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 advanced the ball a lot since the story I described, they still exist to maximize profit. Mm -hmm. But they have gone a long way from where they were to try to acknowledge that their employees are human and to try to talk to them and treat them in a more human way, right? Um, But I think our society and our culture overall in general celebrate those that want to ascend that want to make it up and up and up we celebrate those types for whatever reason it it's it's common that we do and so i think it's normal in this country mm-hmm. for sure to want to um want to go to the top in whatever field it is. Mm-hmm. And we're a capitalistic society. And so corporations and business, owning your own business or working for a corporation is the American way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So That's something that I definitely want to circle back to because I think it's really important. But I also wanted to um, sort of talk about how, um, you know, the experience that especially younger children have. For some reason, I don't know why many people think that I'm a good option for babysitting. So I've been left alone to take care of a lot of younger children whose parents are either at work up until like 8 or 9 p.m. or they're working and studying at the same time. And I have witnessed firsthand a lot of the time when these children just don't have the contact that they crave with their parents. And it is just so heartbreaking. Like, There have been so many times where there's a small child just crying for their mom or crying for their dad. And there's just like nothing I can do, you know, like you can be a distraction, you can, you know, play with them, you can comfort them in whatever way, but it really doesn't make up, you know, what they're missing with the parents. And especially, um, you know, over time when I'm with them for months at a time and I see like, wow, this kid really gets like an hour or two with their dad every day and it's been like this for pretty much all their life and you know that hour or two the dad comes home from like a 10 hour work shift at least 10 hours you know and they're tired they're exhausted they're moody and it just like really takes a toll on the children and um there was an article by dr carol mcbride and she talks about how she still sees adult clients who were neglected as children in this way and have um, symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, actually. And um, a lot of trauma that they're still working to resolve from something that comes from that. And um, yeah, so it actually affects people's relationships later on in life as well. It makes it difficult to trust others and there's often a lot of fear that is difficult for people to comprehend, to understand why, to even recognize so i think when it comes to you know like you're trading an hour of your life for this wage but there's a lot more that you're also sacrificing and um yeah i think that's something that's super important 
to address as well. The, the post, the PTSD mm-hmm. is something that <clears throat> used to only be recognized really with war veterans. Like you had to be in some type of combat to even be considered a candidate for PTSD. I think now the, the science has clearly evolved and advanced to the point where, you know, you can just be a regular person in regular situations and experience some type of PTSD Mm -hmm. uh, just through normal living. Mm -hmm. Um, And people didn't recognize it as PTSD before. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, you don't, there can be lots of situations in regular, normal, everyday life that become traumatic. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, you know, while there may be a definition for trauma and traumatic, um, what is trauma and traumatic to one person is probably very different for another person. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's difficult to have a, a, a real universal breakdown of, of everything that it is. But let's be real clear, neglect from parents to children mm-hmm. is traumatic and it's not war. You know, it, it's, it's, it's missing who they're connected with and not getting enough time with those that are the most important to that child at mm-hmm. that time, they don't have the time to be with them. And that becomes uh, a void. It, mm-hmm. be- it, be- it becomes an empty space of loneliness and, and missing the connection with mom or dad or brothers or sisters. But in this case, probably more the, the parental attention is, is required. And they're going without it, and if it's left, if it's left unaddressed, like anything, it's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. You have to address it. You have to uh, have some type of therapy for it, uh, because it's not going to go away on its own. Yeah. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Time helps, but it's it's not the disinfectant that that is the only one that you can use because not everything is going to go away over time. Mm-hmm. It gets calloused and, and all that stuff, but it doesn't go away. Yeah. And I know it seems very extreme maybe to um, relate something like PTSD to something that, you know, just parents who work, you know, we have normalized that so much that it feels extreme to criticize it to this extent. But just going back to my experience, like I was just, you know, uh, a young person who people saw as trustworthy. So people left their kids with me. But a lot of the time, people don't really have access to someone that they trust. So they leave their kids in um, inadequate daycare. And a lot of the time, unfortunately, it's people who are from uh, lower income families who can't really afford genuine daycare because they definitely can be pricey, you know, and it's also these people that due to the nature of their jobs have a lot less flexibility they have a lot more stress that they're bringing home they have a lot less benefits and overall it's just it seems that the system is definitely structured in a way that is deeply flawed yeah the system is structured to maximize profit it's the system isn't structured to have the best possible home situation mm-hmm. um and i think i think at the end of the day, I think that might be the, the core of the issue. 
And that is that we prioritize the money-making over the well-being of, of the unit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I, I think that's, I think that's where it starts. I, I think the other element in here or another element at least is the fact that I'm not so sure that we do a very good job as a, as a country of helping people pick the right vocation and career for their skill set. Mm-hmm. People want freedom. People want security. People want autonomy. They want to be able to pick and choose what they do. But most of us don't pick the proper career path for our skill set when we're given all the autonomy in the world to pick it. Mm-hmm. People see you're not a child care expert. People see you as trustworthy, so they, so they say, okay, I'm safe with leaving my kid here. Well, maybe they would be better off if they found a person they were safe with and wanted to be with kids, right? Mm-hmm. And like spending time with kids. You like spending time with your sister because she's your sister. You don't like spending time with her necessarily specifically because she's a child, right? You like spending time with her because she's your sister, now, it doesn't mean that you like every kid her age mm-hmm. or want to spend time with them, right? So as a, as a group, as a whole, as a country, I think we would be better suited to try to figure out how can we um, assess people's skill sets and, and try to direct them in the most appropriate profession or vocation mm-hmm. for that skill set. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Um... What that reminds me of is something that I have seen be pointed out multiple times. It's the similarity that public schools have to the workplace. You mean, um, like you go in there and you spend eight hours sitting down following directions. You get a 30-minute lunch. You get one or two 10-minute breaks. And multiple people have pointed out how this sort of feels like it is programming young children to become accustomed to this system and not question it when they grow up and they go into the work field and I can't help but to think that this is literally capitalism training children from super young into just walking into this yeah and isn't it painfully ironic how the socialist element of school is propping up the capitalistic idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... These, I, these corporations yeah. aren't spending their money mm-hmm. on school, mm-hmm. right? This is taxpayer, government-funded education that's really prepping mm-hmm. for the capitalistic society. Yeah. And yet, the capitalists at the top are going to be telling you how government is bad, 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 bad. Mm-hmm. And yet, they're doing their calling and training for them. Yeah, and isn't it also ironic how it's usually those who aren't the most um, advantaged in society that can't afford or access higher education so that they're not stuck in the jobs that exploit them the most. I think that's very... Because I'm not like against education in any way, shape, or form. I think education is absolutely great. College education, higher education... It's absolutely wonderful. It may not be for absolutely everyone, but it's still the structure of school. I can't help but to think there's something a little bit sinister about it. 
I think structure is important overall in general, no matter what you do. But I, I understand what you're saying because the corporate world is very structured. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the labor force has to be, has to be trained to be able to um, work away, work their way through the structure to be okay with it. So they, they do need experience in that. But I just, I just think that we need, we need to do a better job at directing and guiding people. Education can solve a lot of problems, but it doesn't solve all the problems for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so Maybe you're not an academic person and you're good at welding. Well, someone needs to recognize that you like to do that kind of thing and get you there. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows Who knows where our real skill sets lie, but somebody needs to help us uncover all of them. Parents, teachers, coaches, you know, piano teachers, whatever. We need people to help us, guide us to where we're really good. Yeah, and I think that definitely raises a question of how good of a job are um, education institutions really doing? Because, again, it feels a lot more like programming, and they're not really doing that well of a job or that good of a job um, teaching people to fundamentally question things, to be able to actually use their heads for critical thinking, to analyze things. They're just talk to you know like you're supposed to do this so become really really good at it and I think that ties back to what you were saying about how we glorify um, this drive to just be at the top to get this to um, you know reach this higher status to go higher to go higher and to just reach things it's sort of because we're like programmed into it we don't ever stop and question hey why, why am I doing this what am I supposed to be doing at the core, that's what education is really supposed to be able to do is, is to develop and hone your critical thinking skills. And part of critical thinking skills is to be able to question your belief, your belief systems, and why you believe certain things. Mm-hmm. And if our education system isn't getting that done, then really, what good is it? Because mm-hmm. only a certain amount of people are going to go to the Ivy League schools or the top schools mm-hmm. anyway, no matter no matter how great um, our academic system is, only a certain amount, percentage of people are going to go to the best schools that, that, are, that we have. But the educational system, wherever it is, has to incorporate critical thinking and has to be able to question belief systems and why we believe. Mm-hmm. Although, otherwise... Um, it's not accomplishing what it what it's really set out to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this really also flows really nicely to um, why I wanted to call this conversation the money talk that you'll never get from your parents because the average working American isn't really questioning the system enough and so they expect of their children or they raise their children to believe that success and security equate to a corporate job that basically locks you into wage slavery without really thinking about your own perceptions of money, what you want in life, what you value in life, or without thinking what you sacrifice when you step into this sort of an environment. A lot of what we want and what we value, we get from those models around us. Our parents, our friends as parents, our teachers, our professors. 
if we're told, you know, our country celebrates success and success is advancement and status and title and position and all these things. And we as a country kind of celebrate that. If, 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 if you're not ascending to the top, well, then you don't really count. Um, we, we like the winners. We like the people at the top. Um, I think the I think the 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 attitude that we that we have here is is built on the idea of retirement is good, work hard and then retire. And so if you're following a person, you're you're if if your role model is always talking about the future and security and what they're going to do with their future, well, you're going to start to take some of that on yourself. And you're going to start to believe that that's what you should be striving for. And they had a certain way to achieve their, their goals, and they're trying to impart on you what they used to get to where they are and they want you to follow in their footsteps so you can be secure too. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that circumstances change, life changes, not all opportunities are the same, not all opportunities are fair, mm -hmm. right? Not everybody's gonna have the same, no matter how bad you might want to be in a particular position, you may never have the opportunity to actually be in that position. Um, and so that can in itself can become very frustrating when you are trying to follow the, the, the model that someone has, has formed for you, mm -hmm. but the circumstances have changed and that course may or may, may not be available to you anymore. You may not be able to go down that path. Of your of your role model so because life is always changing and things are always different and, and and the environment is different doesn't mean that you're gonna be able to follow the path that was laid out by by somebody else especially nowadays because things change quickly yeah um, one last thing that I sort of wanted to dive into was um, the conversation about unions because I think we've had yeah. a lot of insight that pertains to this overall topic in the past. So I wanted to ask, what do you think we learned from unions historically, the way they've worked, the way they have interacted with what we now know as the, the workforce or the experience inside the work field? Yeah, I think unions were vital to forming a middle class. Um, I think Henry Ford got it right. Um, Henry Ford, you know, not only did he um, invent like the production line, but he had employees that he decided to treat like family and potential customers. What an idea, right? And so he was okay with unions. It meant a stable workforce to make more money with. Yes, 
but the laborers were treated better than with a union than without a union. And they had higher wages and they had better working conditions and they got benefits. And the whole union thing was because humans as employees were being taken advantage of and exploited uh, horribly. And so unions did a lot more than just wages and work hours and weekends and benefits, but the safety element to unions was was massively important. Mm -hmm. And so, unfortunately, like a lot of things... Unions got defiled because of politics. And they became a political issue. And so unions bad, unions bad, unions bad. And they've had a steady and regular decline for decades and decades and decades. And we need a revitalization of unions. Mm -hmm. It's better safety, better working conditions better pay, better benefits. Mm -hmm. It makes, it keeps companies honest. It keeps them doing the right thing, whether they like it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And it keeps them, um, it it, it actually makes them have to be really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. They have to have a really good product and they have to be, they, they have to be leaders in their industry and, there are lots of organizations that make lots of money and still have unions. Mm-hmm. It can coexist. Mm-hmm. They can coexist. Yeah. The workforce would be way better off if we had way more unions. Mm-hmm. The threat of a union increases wages. Mm-hmm. The threat of a union increases benefits. The threat of the union increases uh, safety elements. So, you know, you can say union bad, union bad, all you want. I worked in a union environment. I've managed in a union environment. Lots of people hate the union contract. As a manager, I love the union contract. It didn't make it simple to fire a person, but I didn't necessarily want it simple to fire someone. I wanted to be able to show them, this is your contract. This is what you negotiated for. This is where you failed. You fail again. You're going to have a massive problem in keeping a job here. That's not my rule. That's the union contract. Mm -hmm. It was real easy to manage to. Mm -hmm. Made it really easy. Well, so-and-so did this or that. Really? Well, let's see what the contract has to say about that. Let's call the rep. Let's get him or her in here. Sit that person down because this is what it says. They violated the rule. When you go into an organization, maybe they have a policy that covers that. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But managing to a union contract, the company makes it sound like it's uh, nuclear science. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. It's real simple. They either violated a rule or they didn't. Mm -hmm. It's all spelled out. So... You know, unions are, are important for a lot of reasons. And the, their, their purpose has been downplayed by corporations because they don't think they can make um, enough money because of higher wages and whatever. Um, that's hogwash. That's not real. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's just a myth. Mm-hmm. They can make plenty of money and still pay their employees union wages. Mm-hmm. But what do we um, learn from how people or how those at the top of a corporation sort of interact with their employees from unions? I mean, like, the way that unions have made it sort of mandatory to give very, very basic necessities to employees. What do we learn from how um, people basically manage the power that they have if they don't have the danger of, you know, being fined or um, things being illegal? Well, the thing, the what's, what's important with the, the union element, really, when it comes to the safety, is getting the right safety equipment, um, whether that's hard hats or gloves or whatever it might be, to, to eliminate injuries. Mm-hmm. Injuries are expensive. Injuries hurt the bottom line, too. Right? So you may pay a little bit more up front, but you get a lot of benefit on the back end if you were always having lost time due to injury. And that injury affects that whole employee's family. Not just the employee, mm-hmm. not just the company, but the family too. And so there's a lot of benefit to the executives to pay attention to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because every injury claim, every accident costs a lot of money. Anything that, that can, that's all money coming away from, from the bottom line, mm-hmm. from maximizing their profit. So it should get their attention. It shouldn't be hard, right? The, the best companies are the companies that care most, most about safety, really. That means that they, they truly care about the well-being of their people. When, on some of the worst days when I was managing, when my people would make it back after a horrible weather day, I would go give them a big hug that they made it. My whole thing with safety was, if you find your head on the pillow that night, you had a good day, right? Let's, let's make that our goal here. And everything you do throughout the day is to make it there, right? Safely, in one piece, with no injuries, mm-hmm. right? So the higher-ups need to recognize that that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Safety is a big deal. And if you invest in it, if you invest in the equipment, if you invest in the training and you invest in the people that really do care about it, it's going to pay dividends for you mm-hmm. in the long run because you're going to have far less claims, mm-hmm. way less claims. Yeah. And I think um, another part of that is sort of the fact that when it comes to workforces in a capitalist economy where uh, profit maximization is the absolute highest priority, it's sort of scary to think that if it wasn't for unions, if it wasn't for the fights and the resistance that have happened um, historically, they wouldn't be giving, they wouldn't be handing out any sort of um, standard when it comes to, you know, wages, benefits, anything that even like on a very bare minimum level treats a person like they're human. And I think it's sort of scary to think that we're still putting ourselves in an environment that if it wasn't for legality, if it wasn't for these fights that have happened, they actually wouldn't treat us like that either. So, yeah, I think that's also 
an important aspect to consider. Yeah, the, if you're in an organization <clears throat> where safety isn't important, it's literally either a, a, a business that has no accidents or injuries or a business that just doesn't care mm-hmm. if there's no focus on safety. Um, it matters. It, it matters to the company. It matters to the customers. It matters to the employees. It should matter to everybody. Mm-hmm. Those who are so detached from the field that they don't know if it matters or not, they're, they're, they're isolated. They're lost. Mm-hmm. They don't know what's important. They really don't. Mm-hmm. They probably... They probably don't even care about safety for their own family members. They, they yeah. probably don't even worry about it or think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that was a really good conversation. Do you have any final thoughts or anything to add? No, I'm good. Okay, well, thank you for your time. Thank you. And I hope this was a conversation that added a little something to think about for listeners the way they perceive their own relationship with money or work or however they decide to pursue um, whatever their definition of success is. Yeah.